horse. All right. I'm either a rocking horse or a mule, depending on how nice you're feeling. <laughs> okay. Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers and everybody else who loves the Hebrew Bible. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Oh, dear listeners. Oh, dear listeners. We're excited. Next week is our episode with the one and only Carol Newsome, a big old Clydesdale of an episode. Whereas this week, we've just got a little ass of an episode. Or, uh, <laughs> oh, that's probably too harsh. How about, how about a rocking horse of an episode featuring Rachel Wren? So this week, we're taking a look at the lectionary text for September 22nd, which is Jeremiah chapter 8, uh, 18 through the first verse of chapter 9. Rachel, you're ready to take it away? I am. I love the introduction. So I'm going to start by doing something I have never yet done on this podcast, which is starting with the gospel reading for for this week. I know, I know, but stay with me. The world is not yet ending, I don't think. So our gospel reading for today is Luke 16. And at the end of that gospel reading, we get the famous quote, No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, since this podcast episode is for September 22nd, people are going to be right in the middle of... That thing where people give money? (laughs) There we go. Stewardship series. That's right. We're setting budgets. We're getting ready. We're trying to prepare for the next year. And so this text seems like a beautiful handout for that purpose. Uh, And it has been used that way many, many times. Um, Other times it's been wrestled with for the metaphor of slavery, if that's appropriate or problematic for today's setting, especially with our history of slavery in America And other times, this text has been used to talk about what wealth means in America and the ways we let this concept rule our lives. But in our Jeremiah text for today, we're actually given a little bit of insight into this Luke text, into a less commonly dealt with or addressed point of view, and that of the master, especially the despised one that Luke hints is God. Well, maybe, anyway. Uh, It's actually completely unclear who is speaking at the beginning of this text in Jeremiah. Verses 18 to 19 are frustratingly ambiguous. Is it God? Is it Jeremiah? It doesn't really give us clear information about who is speaking and to whom we should be assigning this deep grief that is evident. But in the end, perhaps it doesn't matter. The speaker is someone who is grieved to their core, both by the faithless actions of the people and by the extreme suffering the people are undergoing. It's a word of disorienting pain, and as such, it bears many markers of that disorientation. There's a jaggedness to its coherence, a roughness to its stability, a stumbling quality to its cadence that implies a dissipation of sense even as one struggles to be heard. We get a sense right away of the conflict out of which this word comes, the conflict between the speaker, likely God, or at least Jeremiah bearing God's representation, and the people, a long-standing conflict which we've addressed numerous times on this podcast. But what's funny is verse 20, because verse 20 suggests that still, 
Even in the midst of this self-induced suffering, the people feel entitled to a certain relationship with God that resembles more a genie than a divinity. Robert Leha Jr. in his 2002 Jeremiah commentary argues that verse 20, quote, suggests that Judah still expects God to be in place and on time, available when needed to protect and preserve. It is a self-serving and foolish thought. God is not standing in the wings waiting to be rung for like an indentured servant, end quote. Verse 21 records God's response, though it's not the response to the people's direct complaint of verse 20. Instead, it's a response to their existential reality. Now, the NRSV is rather tame in its translation here. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. The pain of God sounds similar to a bad case of heartburn, a consuming problem while it lasts, but solvable, short-lived. The JPS, however, the Jewish Publication Society, captures the Hebrew better. Because my people is shattered, I am shattered. I am dejected, seized by desolation. This is deeper than a bad case of indigestion. The threat to the existential reality of the people is somehow felt in the deepest core of God's existence. And at this point, we have something new. God's reality is inextricably tied to the people's reality. And in some way, the shattering dissolution of the people due to their sins not only pollutes the land, as we hear in other texts, somehow it shatters God. Here we see the struggle of a God who knows that the full brunt of the consequences of their actions is what the people need to experience. And yet, when you are a divine being whose very breath creates life merely by forming sound and word, how is it to bear the pain of their destruction? This chapter flits from one desperate image of God to the next. Again, Leha notes that in verse 22, God almost presents as divine parent, casting about for any solution in the face of the people's terminal diagnosis. Is there no balm in Gilead? Can no physician be found? Why has healing not yet come to my poor people? For anyone here who has binge-watched the recent Netflix series, Stranger Things, am I the only one? I doubt I am. <laughs> There comes a moment in season two, there's a slight spoiler in this, but nothing too major. Joyce, the mother of a suffering teenager, is sitting in a room filled with doctors. All are confident, all are authoritative, all are trying to counsel her about the decision she needs to make for her sick son, but none of them can offer any answers. What is happening to my boy? Can any of you tell me what is wrong with my boy? Joyce shouts, and the room of doctors just stares. What is wrong with my people? Can anyone tell me when healing will come to my people? God cries in this text with the force of a desperate mother. Here, in a strange moment of role reversal, the divine savior, the mighty warrior, casts about looking for an ezer, something that God is so often called in the Psalms, a helper to come when one is in most dire need. The word does not appear in this text, but that is so similar to that scenario which happens so often in the Psalms.
Perhaps this is God's mourning for the people. Perhaps this is God's grief for the innocent who will be destroyed along with the guilty. This may be one of those good texts to reach for when people ask things like, why is God so angry in the Old Testament? And how can God be so violent? Anger and violence, this text suggests, takes its toll even on the divine body. We see this also in the New Testament when Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. There's maybe even a similar suggested reaction in God's first reaction to the flood way back in Genesis. What's God's reaction? To put out a rainbow and to say, never again. Maybe this is one of the reasons why God commends the dishonest manager in our gospel lesson for today. His shrewdness saves him from a life of bleakness and pain. And our text today suggests that even now, in spite of everything, God is still, still rooting for our health and wholeness and healing. And maybe, just maybe, when it seems like God is silent in the face of our suffering, maybe the silence is because we're listening for the wrong thing. What would it look like to stop trying to listen for God's words in the midst of our suffering and to listen instead for God's tears? Well, all right, Rachel, now you're preaching to me. (laughs) (laughs) I need to hear that. So so thank you for your work on that. And I think that's going to get our preachers uh, off and running on a great sermon. Thanks for your work on that. Yeah, glad to hear it. Okay, that's going to wrap us up for this week, folks, but you're going to want to tune in next week for our longer episode with Carol Newsom. You can also find everything that we've done on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. And remember, if you enjoyed the episode today, share it with your tech study group. Share it with uh, your Facebook crew, maybe. Uh, Spread the word. Listen with your dog. Sure, why not? (laughs) Okay, friends, until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching. Hang on, I am completely lost. Where is the text? Eight, not 18. Okay, for goodness sakes. I had a panic there that I did the wrong text and I was panicking. Okay. <laughs>